Well, guys, we are back. It's uh, we're fresh off a of bye week, rested. You know, got a lot just working on the fundamentals this week. It's what we really tried to do. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I feel real rested and prepared for the rest of the year. Um, this is the Bluminati podcast with Colin, Nathan, Vito, and Seth, um, presented by Matrix Hormones. Matrix hormones. Are you not feeling like yourself? Do you feel like you need a little boost, a little vigor back in your life? 813-333-2226. 813-333-2226. Matrix hormones. Uh, they will take your blood work and give you everything that you need to get you back and feeling like you did when you were a few years younger. Um, just lacking the energy, lacking whatever it is that, uh, that once kept you young, uh, check it out at matrixhormone.com or call them at 813-333-2226. Again, that's Matrix Hormones, 813-333-2226. Um, I do have, because of my job, um, access to their Facebook page, and I do see that some of you guys are definitely calling, uh, which we appreciate, and thank you very much because um, people are inquiring and even reaching out on their Facebook page too. But um, best way to get a hold of everybody there is generally on their Website matrixhormones.com or 813-333-2226. Yeah, and support the bulls that support us. Matrixhormones.com. All right. Um, uh, We got a quasi-announcement, I guess. Um, It counts as a quasi, yeah. I'm good with quasi. um, so a lot of people have asked us and we kind of figured maybe this might be the right time to do it. Um, so last year we had a watch party for the Tulsa game and we're going to do it again. Um, it'll, it'll be for the October 26th game against ECU. Um, we figured it'll give everyone plenty of time to make arrangements no one except for the team is going up to that trash ass uh, city. Um, <laughs> we were, you know, UConn's a little too close, you know, a week and a half or so. That's a little pushing it. Everyone's going to be at Navy because you, you, you want to see Navy at Navy. Um, I'll be up there covering the game. I know Colin will be there. Um, couple other people, friends of the blog, will be up there. So we decided, well, I think ECU is our best bet. Um, it was a smashing success last year um, to raise a lot of money for the blog. We were able to send people um, uh, to games and travel and pay for things that have helped uh, grow our brand, hashtag our brand. Um, so we're going to do it again. Um, so we'll have – We've got, you know, hopefully some deals in place here. Um, that'll be pretty awesome. I know we had a, we had a ticket raffle last year and multiple ticket raffles and, um, you know, it was just uh, a yep. good way to hang out with fans and interact with the people who uh, read our stuff. So yeah, last year we, we probably, we had pretty close to a hundred people there last year, didn't we? Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we may even have a little more than that. Um, so we, it was a great event. Um, we, uh, damn near blew a game against Tulsa and had to make a last second field goal to win. Um, I don't know if anybody saw, if you, you can go back and look at the social media videos of everybody who was at the party going, Oh my God, I can't believe that just happened. That was ridiculous. We're so much better than them. Um, but yeah, it happened. We won, uh, good times. Um, so we are, uh, currently in discussions, negotiations with, uh, area, 
um, food and beverage providers and locations. Uh, I think that's fair to say, but if you are a bar owner and you want a whole bunch of us to show up and you're willing to give us a cut of <laughs> a cut of the bar, uh, let us know. Um, we would like to keep it somewhat centrally located, I think, to everyone who listens to us, mostly in Tampa. So we Sorry, Pasco County. Yeah, apologies to our friends in Pasco. Apologies to our friends in Sarasota and down the way. But we do when we do this, we want to keep it as close to the core of the city as we can. So downtown South Tampa, you know, we Seminole Heights, even some place like that. Um, but somewhere in that range where we could get uh, people from Tampa there as conveniently and easily as possible would be what we're shooting for. So, um, but yeah, we'll have some. We have, been fortunate enough to talk to some people and you guys who come one it's a huge help to us because like you know i mean less to me now because i'm not you know traveling but or not traveling on blog money but um the uh you know for the guys that are going up and covering these games and going to georgia tech and navy and everything like that it's a it's a huge help um to help support what we're trying to do and we really do greatly appreciate it um we're not doing things like you know um you know, live auctions and silent auctions and stuff like come in, buy some raffle tickets. We'll clean out the prize closet and whatever else we can collect. And we'll make sure we get to, to as many people as we possibly can. We try and be as egalitarian about these things as we can. So yeah, hopefully you can. Okay. Absolutely. Uh, I think it'll be a good time had by all, um, you know, because it's a month out, we still don't know the kickoff time. So that'll all, that'll, uh, be announced yeah, as well. But, um, I did have a Just certain uh, restaurant establishment ask me that. Oh yeah, what time's the game? I'm like, uh, I'm not gonna know until the 13th. <laughs> yeah. So um, when we know, we'll have the event up on Facebook. We'll write up a post. We'll we'll have all the details in there. Um, and then once we know the time, we'll let you guys know, and <clears throat> hopefully you guys can join us and hang out. Um, so, guys. It was the bye week. What did you guys do on Saturday? Uh, I went to um, a corporate sports bar chain on Del Mabry, and then I went to the dog on McDill, and I watched a lot of football, and I had a few beers. And someone said, you were yelling so loud at the pit UCF game, people were staring at you because I was basically the only person in the bar, like, screaming because everybody else was there watching another game. And uh, people were like, why? Like, I was so intensely watching that game. Uh, yeah, I was I was that guy. But Connor and I, and I was with Connor too. Um, Connor and his friend Chris, and a few of my friends as well. Um, good times. Uh, if you ever want to go, just like a good dive bar on a college football Saturday, where everybody's just glued to like five different TVs watching five different games, uh, the Dog and McDill's a good spot. Wouldn't be a great spot for a watch party because like they have enough, you know, other like Florida Florida State people that come in and. You know, take over. So we're looking for someplace else. But uh, yeah, Doug's a fun place to watch college football. That's for sure. Seth, what'd you guys? What'd you do this weekend? Uh, I mean, pretty much the same thing I do every college football weekend. Just <laughs> sat and watched football uh, from when I woke up to when I went to sleep. That's. I mean, that's really. It's, there's nothing too interesting. Saw a small uh, upstart team from Orlando go up and lose in Pittsburgh. That was. A rough one for them, but uh, devastating. Yeah. Devastating. Yeah. yeah. You bad. really hate to see it. You do. I do have one thing to say about that. Just I I haven't been around for a long time, but the the constant crowing and chest beating and literally the first time they play back to back power five teams, they lose. 
It's literally <laughs> the it's literally the first time they've done it in this kind of three year run. Because the games got canceled or other stuff happened, they haven't had to do it yet. The literally the first time they have to do it, they lose. And you know, this, the, well, the the thing that they've had is they they've sort of caught every break in every game that they've played for the last few years. Whether it's in 2013 against us, you know, having our interception be ruled down by an an inch and us missing a deep throw by an inch. Um, and you know, the, the game at Temple with Bortles where the kid caught it in the back of the end zone with like by his shoestring with a shoestring inbounds and the Memphis game when, you know, uh, two Memphis games actually, but the, the first one, the regular season one where Mike Norbell just decided not to, to, to not coach whatsoever, um, and was scared of his own shadow. They get out of that one and they've caught every single break. So, you know, to see them not get every break was one thing surprising. But the other thing is, is that they even when that did, I mean, pitch should have won that game by at least 10 points just on, you know, the lead that they took and the, the, the size of the lead that they had. Um, but they didn't get the break at the end when they needed it for the first time in forever. And And one other thing I think we learned now, we may have kind of talk about in the past we may have figured this out a few weeks ago but uh i think everybody else kind of saw it on uh, saturday wisconsin is pretty good (laughs) (laughs) like they're really really good we kind of we saw it in person and a lot of people freaked out when they saw the final score but they are really really good yeah i think that may be one of the bigger takeaways um of the season i had a uh Coach uh, on staff uh, texted me on Saturday going, so Wisconsin is uh, really good, LOL. I was like, <laughs> yes. Yeah, yep. <laughs> yes, they are. Um, they are They are really good. And, uh, I mean, if you stayed up until like 3 o'clock in the morning, you saw the drunkest game of all time uh, between UCLA and Washington State. I mean, that game was fall down drunk. I never, I never hang up on football, and I gave up on that game. It's like three scores. I'm like, man, Chip, when are you gonna get it together? Click, turned it off. So I did, I did the, I did the same thing. <laughs> so all right, see ya, Vito. What'd you do? So has anyone gone axe throwing? I watched. I did watch the axe throwing championships on. Uh, on ESPN, it would happen to be on randomly uh, sometime in the last week. I saw it. Um, they, those guys, they never miss. It's so boring because they, all, the the professional like axlers, they hit the bullseye like literally every time. It's like well, super boring. That's like watching darts. Like professional, it just it is what it is. But there's a place axe throwing Tampa downtown. We had a Groupon and we ended up um, uh, going to that pretty early in the afternoon. It was a lot of fun. I uh, almost accidentally. Posted a uh, a video of Molly axe throwing on the Daily Stampede Instagram story, which was pretty funny. But I deleted it quickly. <laughs> Not unlikely on brand, but um, yeah, we went to there. Then we went to a bar to watch, uh, to simultaneously watch all of the floor, uh, all of the games, mostly Florida State, Louisville, because she's a Florida State grad, and then Pitt, UCF, and you hate to see it. You do. It's just terrible. I, it's actually I didn't realize that set um, that the two back-to-back games it's like doesn't necessarily matter who it is what the names are but when you're playing two tougher teams back-to-back you know it's just eventually it takes its toll and that's why you don't see every 
program that's good go undefeated because you eventually get tripped up. You eventually get figured out, even if it's on a last second, you know, pit special on fourth and five, which was an incredible play, by the way. Yes. Um, that, you know, it, it happens. Yeah. And that used to be the thing uh, when Stanford was pretty good, which I don't know if they are this year is uh, the body blow theory that you'd see teams after they played Stanford have a lot of trouble in their next game. I don't know if that was part of it, um, but that was one thing that when Stanford was going really well a few years back, that was some a theory that people used to posit quite a bit, that after you play Stanford, you're pretty beat up. So that was interesting to kind of see that maybe be a part of it too. I find it curious that Pat Narduzzi gets criticized for a fourth and one, kicking it, and then, you know, subsequently losing against Penn State and then what appears to be pulling all of the stops out against UCF at home. And I'm not sure if, you know, one led to the other or if that was the plan all along. But, I mean, you know, the the pit super weapon is real. They're able to, to come together and beat, and they can beat anybody at any time, but tell them to string a bunch of big wins together, and that's the uh, – Don't you dare. Heel. <laughs> Don't you dare. No, they are good to ruin at least one team season a year. Um <laughs> I think what 2017 it was Miami. Um, 2018 they almost derailed uh, Clemson, or 2017 they almost derailed Clemson. One of those years. Um, but geez Louise, they they are the ultimate get up for one game um, and kind of blow it, and then that's it, and then we're done. <laughs> they they are the 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 left the lefty uh, one out specialist. Uh, of college football, <laughs> the relief pitcher. Yeah, they they are. Uh, what's it? Darren Oliver, I think the dude from the Rangers for 15 years. Lugie, left-handed, yep. one out, only one out, only guy. Something. Yeah, something. He's a Lugie for sure. Um, yeah. So you know, Saturday I went to Bush Gardens with the family. Went to. Uh, and the former podcast sponsor, we all went. It was a lot of fun. Um, went to the ice show. Did you have a Disney moment there with them? No, unfortunately not. Which is weird because we were drinking throughout the day. Um, but man, it was hot as hell. So it kind of just evaporated quickly out of our systems. But by God, we kept trying to get drunk. Um, but yeah, it was a lot of fun. Went to Marlowe's Tavern in Carrollwood after. It was a good time had by all. Um, and then watched, watched football the rest of the night. It was good. Um, so guys, I think we're kind of beating around the bush here a little bit. Uh, because there, I mean, there's really not much to talk about. There wasn't a game. We're just, you've got SMU this week and they, they, uh, they beat up on TCU. And they are 4-0 for the first time in 35 years. Um, I think the only person alive then was Colin. Ha, ha, ha. So, yeah, they, uh, they're good. They're 4-0. They won the Iron Skillet for the first time in, I believe, seven years. Um, yeah, this is, uh, this is crazy. Um, Sonny Dykes has turned it around, it looks like, or at least gotten them to the point where they're competitive again. Um, you know, this is, uh, and we've seen Sonny Dykes when he was at La Tech, well, yeah, not really as much as when he was at Cal, um, but even at, even at Cal, I mean, they can score, and they're always going to score, and it's that Mike Leach air raid type of system, um, which we'll get into here in a little bit, but um, 
they're doing it with offense. And so we could see a game, um, and, and not a, not a ton of defense either. So we could see a game that could be really back and forth, um, with a lot of points. And, uh, we'll see how USF holds up in a, in a shootout like this. Yep. Uh, Seth, before we started recording, you mentioned their, uh, offensive coordinator is who now? Uh, Rhett Lashley. He was, uh, he GA'd for Malzahn at Auburn. He kind of bounced around and then he was Malzahn's offensive coordinator at Auburn for a couple years. Um, he's pretty highly thought of, or at least he was when he went to Auburn and then it didn't go so great. And of course, uh, Malzahn blamed it on him and on himself. Uh, I think he went to UConn for a year and they kind of had a pretty good offense for them. And now he's at SMU with Sonny Dykes. He, so they're kind of melding a little bit of that. Malzahn run game with some of the motion, some of the, the funky, um, you know, motion where the receiver comes behind the running back and the quarterback and that kind of stuff. Uh, jet sweep stuff. They're melding that with the air raid passing game. So it's a little bit different than the traditional air raid where you're in a lot more 10 personnel. So one back, no tight end, four receivers. It's a little bit more 11 personnel. So they look a little bit like Auburn when Auburn had it, but they have kind of the, um, kind of the air raid passing game, even out of those personnel groupings. So it's a little bit different than traditional air raid, but still a lot of the same concepts, a lot of the staples of the air raid are still there. Yeah. uh, And the one interesting, the one interesting thing about uh, Rhett Lashley is uh, he was at Arizona state for uh, what, like five months before he left. And uh, you want to know who his quarterback was and why that quarterback went to Arizona state. Well, it was Blake Barnett. Uh, Blake went to Arizona State uh, to team up with Rhett Lashley, and then Rhett bounced, and then Blake came to USF. Um, a lot of connections, a lot of USF um, connections in this game. Uh, Shane Buchel obviously was Charlie Strong's quarterback in 2016, uh, started as a true freshman um, at Texas, and then you know grad transferred to SMU, um, a lot of history there. Uh, Charlie mentioned in his press conference this week, you know, you know Shane's only gotten better um, as he's progressing. I mean, he knew he was a good, good uh, football player when he recruited him, a good, um, good kid, and it's kind of shown. Um, he's done pretty, pretty well this year. He's completing what 66% of his passes. Um, they haven't thrown as much as I thought they would have. Um, Given an air raid system, um, they're they're a pleasantly balanced uh, run pass. Um, they have 43 rushing first downs and 44 passing first downs. They've actually run the ball more times than they've thrown it by like five. Uh, oh no, excuse me, by 53. Well, okay, um, not really effective through the ground. I think they're they're leading rushers, averaging like 4.3 yards a carry or something like that. Um, they're 5.1, and then their backup's 3.7. So Xavier Jones is their their lead tailback, I guess. Um, he's got eight scores. So I think he's probably the the, the guy USF may want to key on in the in the run game there. Um, but I mean, they the SMU has a world class wide receiver in uh, James Prochet. I think that that's going to be mission number one. Uh, stop him. Um, Seth, you've watched him film. What does he do? Uh, just how how is he always open? Well, I think they 
and some of the air raid stuff, there is some conversion and things like that. So he's able to kind of convert um, routes into open space, and they do a good job of teaching how to, you know, coverages to those guys so they understand if I got to sit against zone or if I got to run against man, that kind of stuff. So that helps. He's a really good route runner, um, and they kind of use him really well in their system. They'll they'll split the field in half, and he's often playing in the slot. So a lot of times with the coverages they're getting, he's getting matched up against TCU. Quite often he's matched up on a linebacker playing inside of him. So he was able just to beat him on quick speed outs and things like that. But he's a good route runner. Um, eight, uh, the other receiver, eight, I think it's Roberson or Robertson. He's really good too. He's like six foot, um, pretty good, pretty uh, fast. He'll go up and get the ball downfield. Um, he's kind of more their deep threat, I think. Prochet is more of a underneath guy. Uh, they got a tight end, number 83, that's also a pretty good player. Uh, same Kylan Granson. So they got some really good weapons on the outside, um, led by a Prochet. He's probably the, he's probably going to be the guy that leads in catches where maybe Roberson or Robertson may be the guy that leads in yards. Um, but they're both really good players and going to be tough to match up with, uh, for any defense. You saw that against TCU. Yeah, uh, you know, th- those two wide receivers, uh, Prochet and, uh, Roberson, I mean, how, as a coach, how would you deploy the, uh, the defensive secondary? Are you putting KJ on Prochet or are you, would you put Mike on him and let KJ take care of the, the deep threat guy? How, how would you match that up? I, I'd probably put him on, uh, Robertson, uh, sales, I would probably, uh, he's the guy that really, um, he makes a ton of big plays and a ton of contested catches too. He's a guy that they'll just kind of throw it up to and let him throw up a 50 50 ball and he'll go up and make a play. Um, there's a couple of times and that's kind of what I'm going to be highlighting this week when I go over SMU is kind of how they're generating ex- so many explosive plays. Cause that's what, um, they're kind of efficient through explosive plays, uh, in the run game a lot. They're kind of will be, it'll be yard, two yard, three yards, and then they'll break a big one or it'll be a yard, two yard, three yards. And now we'll, we'll throw a long pass and, um, Robertson will go up and get it. And above a couple people, sometimes in the TCU game, he went up in double coverage and ripped the ball down. So I think if you can cut that off and make them just keep having to throw underneath to where Prochet is maybe not the guy that's going downfield as much. He's kind of working in the intermediate areas. Um, if you can just make them keep having to throw those. And, and you can kind of neutralize that deep shot that probably will make them a little bit easier to defend and make them have to um, be more efficient going down the field. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, for some reason, SMU has, at least recently, have had a, a pretty good history of talented wide receivers. Uh, Cortland Sutton, a couple years ago, he's kind of burst onto the scene in the NFL. I think with the Broncos, I think he's their number one guy. Um, Trey Quinn was Mr. Relevant last year, and I think he's like cracked the two deep for the Redskins. Um, there's something in the water in Dallas that kind of lends its hand to uh, wide receivers. Um, and I think Prochet and uh, Roberson are just the next the next men up in that, that line of uh, good to great uh, wide receivers. And then you match that up with Sham uh, Shell, who's uh, kind of been, you know, one of the better 
uh, get for SMU uh, through the transfer portal. Um, I was reading a story today from the Dallas Morning News. They have 31 transfers on their on this roster. Robertson is a transfer from uh, West, West Virginia. West Virginia. Um, so they've they've hit the portal hard, and it's um, it's starting to pay off for them. I will say this: um, take it for what you will. Uh, former offense coordinator Sterling Gilbert did tell me that uh, I asked him who's the best quarterback he ever coached, and he coached Jimmy Garoppolo. And he was like, yeah. I was like, so like outside of Jimmy, like who's the best one? He's like, I mean, Shane Shell is really good. And this was when he was a freshman. Um, so take that with uh, the Dead Sea amount of salt, or you can, you know, take it as it lies. But the, that was said to me. Um, by former offense coordinator Sterling Gilbert. Um, you know, for the Bulls offensively, um, I th- they're going to be able to have to throw the ball effectively. Um, you know, the SMU is allowing uh, almost 60% of passes being complete. They've given up 11 touchdowns through the air uh, compared to just three on the ground. I think through the air, maybe it. The Bulls' best bet, at, at least for this season so far, uh, the Bulls haven't been running the ball very well, so that could be um, a good way to attack them. What have you seen, Seth, uh, from SMU defensively that may give uh, USF some trouble, and what should they look to capitalize on? Well, uh, Coach Strong even mentioned it in his press conference on Monday. They're really uh, – the word he used was multiple – and they are kind of, they'll show you a bunch of different looks on defense. There are times where they'll get in kind of the new kind of in vogue defense. This is a tight front where it's a three down lineman, but um, both the ends are inside the tackles. So they're kind of just right on the tackles inside shoulder. And then they play these wide outside linebackers, wide overhangs um, and three safeties. So it's kind of a thing that's really big in the big 12 because of those spread up tempo offenses. It allows you to kind of play a bunch of different things and um, kind of match up with a bunch of different personnel groups. They'll play a little bit of that, and they'll come back out on the very next play and play, uh, you know, give you an even front look with four linemen, sometimes using the exact same personnel. And then the very next play, they might give you a different odd front where you have the nose and then your end slash tackles, whatever you want to call them, are wide outside the tackles. So they do a lot of different things. Um I think a lot of it is just based on they have kind of a base and they do a lot of different things and then slant to their base. So they make it look different, but it's really the same kind of stuff. So this is a game where, uh, especially up front, USF is going to have to play within their rules, uh, their blocking rules for protection or the run game. Kind of if it's a zone, I got to take my step and make sure the guy to my backside is going to take his step and I got to trust him to do that and do my job. And so it's going to be one of those games where this is going to be a good time. Last week was a good time to have a buy in front of this one, because I think they're really going to test their rules, uh, especially up front and kind of give them some different looks. And um, that may give them some problems in the run game, but teams have been able to expose them at certain times when they come out in that three man look up front. So it'll be, it'll be an interesting matchup to kind of see how they play USF. Are they going to play him? Like TCU, who was in a lot of similar personnel groupings, um, kind of similar to USF. Are they going to play like North Texas, who is also kind of similar, but they played a little bit different in TCU? 
Um, it'll be interesting to see um, how SMU wants to come out and play it. I'd imagine they want to play more uh, like TCU, but uh, we'll, we'll see on Saturday. All right, Colin, you have two minutes to discuss why the air raid is uh, one of your favorite offenses uh, created. Uh, because it is so simple and so pretty. Um, the the theory is is that you can stretch a team horizontally and vertically um, and all do so with just repetition and matchups. The best thing that, um, and I can't speak to the Dykes offense, but the Leach offense is they put a play in, but they expect the quarterback to change that play at the line about half the time. So, yeah, they put one in. You'll often see Leach even do like a thing where he puts in a play and he says, hey, but keep an eye out for this one as well. Um, but, you know, the quarterback has the full opportunity to make changes and checks and calls at the line and completely change the play as it comes in. Um, so it gives kids more freedom. It's based on repeti- repetition. If you've seen some tapes of air raid practices, um, they don't go through the normal stretching and, you know, ways that other teams warm up. They actually warm up throwing a football. So you'll see a quarterback, you know, five, seven yards away from his receivers. And part of their warm up will be they're just going to make these simple five, seven yard throws like right over the middle. Nobody, you know, on air. It's not like anybody's defending. And they just do these things over and over and over again. The precision of the routes, um, the, it's sort of like the unlock code. Whereas if you have equal talent, if you make the right decisions, um, if the quarterback makes the right decision specifically, because he's usually the one that has to make those choices. Um, and sometimes the receiver has got to make a choice, you know, between two different routes as well. But mostly it's, it's just precision and off good offense when it's run perfectly will always be good defense. Um, you know, there are some things that, that have slowed it down over the years for sure, but um, it's just so well executed and it lets the kids play. It's fun to watch. It puts kids in position to win. It's easy to recruit to. Um, if you're, you know, with this spate of air raid quarterbacks we now have in the NFL, um, I think it's even going to help the recruiting even more as more and more kids are going to want to play in this type of system. And it's just good, fun, fundamentally sound football. Seth, what do you think? Agree? Yeah, I'm, I've kind of been, uh, since I got out of coaching, uh, I've been on like an air raid kick, actually. I've been really kind of trying to research it a little bit more because it's it's insane how even at the high school level I see some people there's like three dudes in North Carolina that all run the air raid that put up unbelievable numbers which is strange because it's not like air raids like kind of the the birthplace of the air raid is uh not North Carolina so it's interesting these guys are running at the <laughs> high school level and it's always like it always works for these guys that run it just like Leach runs it. So that, that's that's just mind blowing to me. It's kind of they're they're able to kind of cycle in different players. They kind of have um kind of prototypes for positions, especially quarterback. It's more of a accurate, smart guy is what I'm looking for than other things. So it's 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 an interesting system, and it's something I've been trying to learn more and more about just because it's it never seems to blow up on anybody. It always seems to do pretty well. So um. It's a really, it's a really, really interesting thing, and the way they practice, like you said, they, that's why they're so good at understanding where zone is because that drill at the beginning is, I think they call it settle a noose. They, they're teaching them to 
run to one. Yep. I think they set up two trash cans. They run to one. They run back to the other, and they settle in the zone. And even how they have the quarterback set up, sometimes they'll have two or three guys going at the same time, and mm-hmm. the quarterback has to go, uh, okay, I'm throwing to the first guy. You're throwing to the second guy. You're throwing to the third guy. So first guy throws. The second guy has to look at the first guy, then to the second guy. Third guy has to look at the first guy, then the second guy, then the third guy, and throw. So it's practicing progressions and everything. So it's just a really interesting way they set up not only like – the offense on the field and the scheme and everything, but even the practice is totally set up and catered to the scheme. So it's really, uh, really an interesting system if you want to get all in on something. And I, I believe the last thing I saw is it takes about two, three days to install all of it. Yeah, so that's their the thing. They think that they're a three day install. That's yeah. what Holgerson, well, it, ain't, it ain't working out too good for him right now, but his, uh, the three day install is kind of their thing. They think they can install everything all run quick game, drop back and run game in three days. So let the players play. I think the, the thing I think I like the most, the most is it keeps the coaches out of the game and it lets the kids, you're putting kids in position to win. Um, you know, and and you can still do things off of it. Now, Leach hasn't done that as much as some of as some of the other guys, um, you know, especially guys like Lincoln Riley have. You know, if you watch what Oklahoma's done this year, uh, they've gone you know a, a little bit more run heavy, even um, you know using use you know using throw to set up run, um, finding gaps with a especially when you have quarterbacks like you know Baker Mayfield, and Jalen Hurts, it does make it a lot easier. Um, but they're you know finding ways to get yards on the ground and use the unaccounted for quarterback, um, you know, because most of, you know the traditional area quarterback was always a bigger guy who didn't move very well. Well, now these guys can take off and go, and if they can still make the throws, I mean that's you know good luck. <laughs> yeah. Um. So just like looking over you know SMU stats and whatnot, um, Patrick Nelson is a, their safety. Um, he leads the team with 27 tackles. He also leads the team with five and a half sacks. Um, so he's up on the line of scrimmage a ton. Yeah. So he, he does a little bit of everything. He has an interception, a pass breakup, a fumble recovery. He's kind of, uh, Mr. Do it all for them. And then as a linebacker, uh, oh, I just had his name. Sorry. Uh, Delano Robinson, uh, is second on the team with, uh, 21 tackles, tackle and a half uh, uh, for loss, one and a half sacks, pass breakup, QB hit. Um, so they've got, they've got some dudes on defense. Um, but, yes, I mean, it really does come down to USF being able to execute. And with, um, you know, Bulls offensive line woes, with Nelson being up, up you know, close to the line of scrimmage, there's going to be a lot of uh, – uh, reads that the offensive line is going to have to make and make sure that they, you know, they slide all together. Um, I know we spoke about, you know, the four man slides, uh, in our film room, making sure that they're all doing their job at the exact same time going the right way. Um, because having a safety that plays up against, uh, plays up at the line of scrimmage and can still drop back and cover, um, there's a lot of disguises that the defense can create that can confuse an offensive line. And we've seen um, some confusion this year uh, with the offensive line for USF. Uh, I spoke with uh, Charlie Strong during his uh, teleconference on Monday. And I asked him, you know, is, is Mark Storm still going to be the right tackle? And he's like, uh, well, him and 
Hopple or Hopewell or, you know, they're still battling. Uh, Marcus knows he hasn't played well this year, uh, and we're, we're working on it. Um, so we could see some changes there. I know Hopewell got, um, some extensive run against South Carolina State. We'll see how that goes. Um, but if, being able to confuse a relatively young offensive line may be, uh, may be the challenge for USF. Um, Schematically, they've got to be able to work as simple as it sounds, work to, as one unit to make sure everything is protected. Otherwise, Jordan McLeod's probably not going to have a shot back there if they're disguising their blitz as well and um, getting to the quarterback uh, and getting the running game going as well. Um, Jordan Cronkright uh, left the game two weeks ago early. Uh, Charlie said he's going to be he's going to be fine. Trevon Sands is back, but he's listed as third on the depth chart right now behind Kelly Joyner, who's uh, been um, nothing short of fantastic as a true freshman. Uh, Charlie said it again on Monday that, you know, if Kelly doesn't break his leg three games into his senior year, he's probably not at USF. Um, he had over a thousand yards in three games, like 18 touchdowns his senior year, literally through three games. Um, so he's probably breaking every single Florida State record for a running back uh, and not playing at USF. So yeah, I think uh, he had well over he had well over 2,000 yards his junior year too. Like it was like 2,200 or something crazy and like 40 touchdowns or something. It was it was nuts. His junior year when he played the full year was crazy. Yep. Um, so just watch out for him. I think uh, the combination of him, Kronk, and Ford like cycling through in the backfield may uh, be USF's best shot to kind of get things going there on the in the ground game. Um, I mean, it, it's good to see um, you know Kelly play so well because uh, there was concerns. Uh, we didn't really know what position he was going to play, um, how his you know leg had healed after the injury, but. Um, he's shown some explosiveness. He had the 51 yard run. Um, I think that's, I think that's a great sign for things to come. Um, he's second on the, he's literally second on the team in rushing so far. Uh, I mean, oh, Jordan Cronkite's averaging 1.9 yards per carry so far this year. Uh, that's got to change real quick. And someone asked me last week in a little Q and A that we did, um, you know, has he hurt his draft stock? And I straight it was the offensive line sort of draft stock. Um, Kronk, I don't think feels comfortable running between the tackles. I think he, he may be seeing ghosts as well. Um, he'll see a flash of a helmet and kind of try to bounce it outside. And that's just not his game. So he's got to figure that out and be the North South runner that we saw last year. And I think things may start to turn around here. Um, hopefully the bye week helped the offensive line more than anyone. Um, outside of Jordan McLeod being more comfortable with the offense, um, Seth, what what do you want what do you want to see from USF going into SMU? Who uh, you know they're four zero, they're riding a hot streak, just beat a top twenty five team. Mm-hmm. What do you want to see from this team to show that okay, the the bye week came at the perfect time and they've actually learned from it? I think you'll better play up front. Um, you know, if it's something like Wisconsin where you're just getting physically manhandled, that's, you know, there's nothing really you could do about that in season. But most of the problems the last couple of games have been just mental, maybe not understanding the scheme or 
maybe not just not doing my job exactly correct. Maybe I leave early or I leave late and just those little margins really add up. So I'd like to see them play a little bit cleaner up front on offense. I think if they do that, um, that will go a long way towards helping this offense improve. And I got a stat that is going to be in my piece kind of breaking down um, SMU, but I thought it was encouraging and obviously you take it with a grain of salt, but um, the yards per play with um, for the season, USF's at 4.77 yards per play, which is really bad. That's I think 115th in the country. Um, since McLeod came in against Georgia Tech, which is about five quarters, they're at 6.58 yards per play, which would be 32nd in the country. Um, now, obviously, the opponent that a lot of that was against um, is not the best of a measuring stick probably for the offense. But he did. I think they did get over 100 yards in 12 plays against Georgia Tech. So I think – his hopefully his added threat of running can make it easier on the offensive line, but that's that's the biggest spot. And then outside, I think you want to see the receivers play a little bit cleaner than they have so far this year. There have been times where they've had chances to make plays, and they've just literally dropped the ball. So I think if those two areas can be cleaned up, you'll see USF able to move the ball. Um, this SMU defense is not a juggernaut. But they will be aggressive and take take risks, so you got to be able to take advantage of that. So I can I think offensively that's kind of what I'm hoping to see, and I hope USF is aggressive and kind of just rolls it all out there and let, lets it hang loose. And um, you know what do they have to lose? They're probably they're the underdog in this game. It's a home game, you know. Maybe pull out some trick plays, that kind of thing. Just let it all hang out. And um, so I, I'd like to see them play aggressively, and I think they have been trying to for the most part. But I'd, I'd like to see that continue. Colin, from from your end, what do you what do you want to see from USF? Is there something that you need to see from them to to either uh, proof of concept or anything uh, in that area where okay, we may be trending in the right direction now? I'm gonna count how long Jordan McLeod has to get rid of the football. That's gonna be my number one look at everything. Um, you know, if if we give this kid a chance. Um, on passing downs to have a pocket um, and to be able to get rid of the football. As far as r- run game, um, you know, are these guys getting you know eaten up at the line, a la Veer and shoot last year, or are they able to uh, find holes and split guy split away? Um, and you got to see if that's inside and outside. You know, you can you might be able to to make holes on the outside. You know, with with pulling and and getting guys to the edge and and then be unable to open up holes in the, in, in the center of the line between a gaps and b gaps. Um, you know, can they get can they get outside and make plays? Um, and can they get inside and make plays? I I just need to to see the line play. Um, you know, continue as we said last week. You know that they, they definitely played better as the game went on. I think last week. Um, can they do that again against better competition in SMU? Um, that's that's what I need to see. And let's see if this defense is for real. I think they did a real nice job against Georgia Tech. Um, but you know, there's a false possibility Georgia Tech's not real good. I think we all agreed that, despite the score against Wisconsin, we thought they played pretty well considering. Yeah, one um, uh, one thing just to that note, real quick, this that I found and kind of doing research for the preview this week. Um, USS defense has held every team they played to their lowest yard per play total this season, including Wisconsin. Oh, wow. So oh, wow. they've held everybody to um, 
the first three games, each of them has been the lowest total for that team yards per play wise. So, uh, they played better defensively than Michigan did uh, against Wisconsin by, uh, two tenths of a yard in every other game they've been, uh, able to hold the team down. So I, that'll be interesting to see if, if that trend continues. Yeah. What's, I mean, I think we need to get on the, on the fact that there, there, you know, most seasons, the last couple of years, it's been Alabama and Clemson. Like, there's a possibility this year that it's Alabama, Clemson, and Wisconsin, that there's actually three teams that could compete for this whole thing this year. Um, they are really, really good. And I think Oklahoma is probably that fourth. Yeah. Um, Wisconsin's only given up four third down conversions all season, by the way. Jesus. And USF, and USF was, my three. God. Wasn't USF <laughs> three of them? They weren't they like three of 13? That sounds about right. So they've only, they, they're they're they've given up four. They're like uh, four for thirty eight. I think they're number one, number one in the nation and third down defense. And they're also only giving up like three yards of play to three point one seven yards of play. Jesus, that, that would be so good for college football. <laughs> so they're pretty good. Uh, they're pretty good on defense. So some of these, that's the thing. Some of these, just looking at it, SMU's got really good stats by. The yards per play stats. They're in the top 45 in both. And they're like 44th on offense, 40th on defense. But they, they haven't played anybody. Ship ratio. They haven't played anybody nearly. <laughs> yeah. They, I mean, TCU's the best team they've played, uh, by a good margin, especially defensively. TCU's pretty good, uh, like 12th yards per play. And they held SMU like a yard and a half below their average. So, I, so uh, what I'm interested to see is, is SMU, as good as everyone thinks they are, and even as good as the numbers say, or is it somewhat inflated? I think they're good, but I think we'll find out if some of those numbers have been inflated a little bit by competition. Texas State is really bad, and I don't know how much better they are than South Carolina State. They're probably better, but not by a ton. Yeah, this one's going to be tough. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, spoiler alert, I'm probably going to pick SMU to win here, but I think, it, I think USF can definitely keep it close. Um, you know, and I'm going to try and not freak out if, you know, the Bulls lose by three here. Um, you know, cause SMU could be legit. Uh, it would have been nice to have this schedule in 2016. That's for sure. Yeah, I think though, that'd be nice. Um, you know, just looking through SMU stats, I mean, they're completing 50% of their third downs, um, which is, I mean, that's not, uh, kind of translate every game. Like, yeah, fifties. They were below. That's I think they were below against TCU was their lowest uh, conversion. Yeah, they were they were nine of twenty, which I mean, it's yeah. still right there, but like, so pretty good. But that was I think it was on the lower end. They played yeah. their worst two games statistically have been on the road. Um. So that was okay. kind of interesting to see. Arkansas State, they went on the road first game, and then TCU, they won both of them. But those are statistically their two worst games so far. So this will be their longest road trip as well. So we'll see if that's a factor. I don't know if it will be, but the air raid doesn't travel. Yeah. Apparently. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, against uh, – I think you may have mentioned it, Seth. I mean, against TCU <clears> – <throat> Um, they average five yards per play. Their season, season average has been 6.4. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, they won, um, but it, it's a little bit dicier. Um, 
than maybe we think. Well, they got one one big key, and again, I keep saying it, but this is going to be in the piece, is they got, th- I think they had three TCU turnovers, and their average field position after those turnovers was at the TCU 17. So, I mean, I, and I think they converted, they kind of cashed in on all those drives. So, they, I think they literally got the ball one time on the three-yard line off a of turnover. So, they were able to score 41 points, but TCU gave them the ball three times on the average of their their uh, the TCU 17-yard line. So, you know, it's hard to say exactly if, you know, if they played again, would they win? I don't know, but they, they won, so that's all that matters. Yeah, they got it at the four-yard line um, in yeah. the first quarter, converted that into a touchdown. Um, they went down the field on their first drive and scored. Uh, Use a trick, a trick play on second down for like a 50, 50 plus yard gain. So they, they manufactured a big drive, and that's their thing. When they have an explosive play, that's that's kind of their their mo. And that's a lot of teams. The, your odds of scoring greatly increase with one just one explosive play on a drive. But when they're able to generate a big play in the passing game, uh, that kind of spurred them on to scoring drives. Yeah, I mean, and. These are their fir- their fourth quarter drives um, against TCU. Uh, three plays, nine yards, punt. Ten plays, 60 yards, field goal. Three plays, negative 22 yards, punt. And then um, they they were able to just kneel at their final possession uh, with 55 seconds left. So they kind of kept TCU in the game a little bit. Um, so, you know, heading into the, the fourth quarter there was uh, 31 um, 24. They were hanging and hanging around, and it just, as you just couldn't, uh, or excuse me, TCU just couldn't quite uh, finish the comeback there. Um, but oh, I was saying before the pot, before the pot, I think if TCU had either one of USF's quarterbacks, they would win that game because their quarterback position is really bad. Yeah, uh, Max uh, Dugan went 16 of 36 for 188 yards, uh, three touchdowns, no picks. But when you throw the ball 36 times and you only get 188 yards, something went wrong there. He started out like 0 for 8 or something crazy like that too. <laughs> yeah, that's not that's uh, not good. Um, yeah, so I mean that's that's where we are. I mean I've got a bet with uh, Ryan Ryan T Smith. Um, that if SMU wins, he rejoins Twitter. So I think that's huge. Uh, I look forward to us. I'm sorry. I was going to say, I look forward to, um, two L law school student, Ryan Smith, uh, uh, failing out of law school because he lost a bet to us, which would be just because it really would. Um, yeah. So if, if the bulls beat SMU, he rejoins Twitter. And I think there was another stipulation, um, of that. He has to write, um, that Nathan is always right. Um, and then if SMU wins, I have to start every sentence for the rest of the year with, I'm a, I'm a stupid idiot. Ryan Smith is always right. Um, so that that's where we're going with, because um, USF, please, for the love of God, win. I would love to get Ryan back on Twitter. Do you know how good he would have been on Saturday? He would have like been Saturday, terrible. Saturday night around like 730. Yeah, it would have been. Oh, man. It was the only thing really missing from Saturday. It really was. Um, I wish. I just, I just wish. I wish Ryan T. Smith, please come back. Yeah, Ryan T. Smith. He's the troll um, king. All right. Do we want to make predictions? I know predictions is terrible, but we should do it anyway because it's fun. It's terrible radio. 
Yeah. Um, so I think SMU open is like a six and a half point favorite. Uh, yeah, to, I think it's up to eight and a half is what somebody so, said. So if this was a home game, they'd be like 11, at 11 point favorite, given, you know, given the, you know, three, three point, uh, Home slate. I would just, right. I would just still three. It's it's getting down to like in the NFL where now they're only giving about two, but college is still about three. So yeah. So like um, an eleven is, point favorite. Actually, I don't it's see it. Two. It actually opened at two and Did has been really? bet up to eight. Yeah. Lord. So six point six points of movement from what uh, what the the guys who set the lines thought, and then the money, which means the money has just been trucked in. Eighty five percent of the bets are on SMU. The total is 61, and 81% of the action is on the – or 81% of the bets, I should say, are on the over. Hmm. Um, I think I think USF can keep it close, and if they can keep it close, they've got a decent shot to win. Um, I, I don't know, man. I, I, I believe in Jordan McLeod. I think uh, he – him and the offense, um, you know, if that offensive line gets clicking and they don't have to leave Mitch in the block and he can release down the seam, I think he's going to cause trouble. Um, you saw him connect with Eddie McDoom um, against SC State. I think we can see more of that. Bryce Miller, um, if Randall St. Felix finds his hands, that'd be even better. Uh, but the, the talent is there, and I, I'm just – Somehow it turned into the optimist that USF will pull it out, they'll get it together, and they will win 38-21. I think the oh, I, wow. I think USF's defense is the best one that SMU will face. Um, I have faced this year, and uh, likely will face all season, maybe because maybe Temple because it ain't gonna be Houston, it's not gonna be Memphis. Um. Tulane, I think Tulane, their third last game of the season, that could be their best defense that they face besides USF's. So we're going to see if SMU's legit. I will say SMU did get a first-place vote in the preseason poll, and we all laughed. Um, so let's, let's find out if they're for real. Colin? Uh I'm going to – yeah, so that total is pretty big, but I'm going to go over it. Uh, I'm going to say uh, SMU 41, USF 38. Um, I think the Bulls do keep it close. I agree. Um, I believe in Jordan McLeod as well. Uh, I do think this is a, a, a defense that Smoo hasn't faced yet, but I also think it's a pretty good team. Um, I wouldn't be stunned to see USF win. Uh, I think eight is kind of high. Uh, I mean, I understand piling in money. And actually, as we tweet, it actually just moved down to seven and a half. So maybe they're listening to the podcast. Um, I, uh, yeah, I, I think that's, that's still a little high. Um, you know, if I had to pick a side with the spread, I'm definitely going to take USF. Um, but I do think SMU is just a smidge better. Um, we'll see though. And, uh, you know, there's something to be said here too. And, and this is honestly my deciding factor. Um, I think these could be two pretty evenly matched teams, especially with USF at home. Uh, I'm paying the Charlie tax here. Um, I think Sonny Dykes and having watched a ton of Sonny Dykes games when he was at La Tech, I was a big fan of what he was trying to do before he went out to Cal. Um, and having seen what he's done at SMU, uh, Sonny Dykes is a real good game coach. And, uh, we haven't seen Charlie 
uh, in a close situation or in a late, close and late situation, um, really step up and do anything that would um, put the team in a better position to win. So uh, I think USF loses via the Charlie tax, but I would not be stunned to see a win. All right. So I think SMU is a pretty good team. Um, I think there is a possibility that they could just be rolling and hitting bombs down the field and the game could get away from USF. But I would still pick USF. Um, spoiler alert, I'm going to do that every week. So don't, you know, don't, don't read too much. <laughs> don't read too much. Josh Appel, welcome back to the Illuminati podcast. Uh, don't read too much Seth, into it. But before, um, before you were here, Seth, we had a host that would literally pick USF would be playing Alabama and he'd pick USF every week. It was pretty good. That's what I'm, I'm, I'm looking at and, and how I'm making these picks is, okay, what, if USF plays kind of the game that I'm thinking they could to win, what would, what would the score be? So I think there's two, two hidden factors in the game. Um, one is, is USF able to get pressure on the show? Because I think SMU is like top 10 or top 15 and fewest sacks allowed thus far this season. They get the ball out of his hands quickly. Um, Against TCU, they got pressure on him one time when he's trying to throw the ball down the field, and he ended up throwing an interception because he tried to get the ball out of his hands really quickly. Um, ended up overshooting the receiver, and he got picked when they had a chance to maybe score. They're on about the 25-yard line. So I think if they can get pressure on him, that'll really kind of slow down this offense, get them in some third and long situations because they haven't been great. What they're really good at is not getting third and long. They'll throw – the ball out out to Prochet really quickly on like a bubble or a quick screen. He'll get five or six. They'll get themselves in third and two, third and three, and then convert that way. That's why they're about 50% of the season. So um, if USF is able to continue making those tackles for loss that they've been able to do, continue getting pressure on the quarterback, I think that'll really tip the scales in their favor. And the other thing is SMU is really terrible in special teams. Um their kickers are really bad. Uh, they made a few field goals last week, but they missed a, like they've missed five extra points or something like that so far this year. Um, their punter is averaging like 36 yards a punt, so that could be another spot where USF can flip the field position and win the field position battle, and that's going to be kind of crucial in games where talent's probably pretty equal. So I'm gonna go out and I'll pick USF. Uh, let's go 28-27 over SMU. Uh, Guys, uh, Vito, uh, take your pick, and then I want to jump in here with uh, something else, too. I'm in prove-it mode, but hey, what the heck. Charlie Strong's undefeated, coming off a bye week. SMU's probably rolling a little too high. They probably unleashed all of their playbook, so they've been they've been able to study it, what's going on. Jordan McLeod, I think, is going to have his come-out game. I think Nate's right. Maybe this is that Syracuse game from 2015. They come out slinging, and uh, defense makes some, some good plays. They don't get behind, so they're not chasing. What the hell? Thirty-one twenty-eight USF. All right, there we go. All right, guys. So uh, we are just going here, and as I watched the the SMU line go from eight to seven and a half, and as soon as it went to seven and a half, somebody actually bet it back up to eight. I have a live thing that can actually tell me on a ticker. Um, but how about the Hus- Don't look Huskies versus Knights in Orlando. What do you think the spread is? Uh, Thirty-two and a half. Who who is playing UCF? The, uh, UConn versus UCF in Oviedo. Uh, let's go 28. 28, 32. Vito, what do you got? Uh, give me, man, I want to say like 36. I want to say it's something stupid. 
Vito, you are the winner without going over by prices rate rules because it is 43. That's absurd. I think that's the biggest line in conference history. Um, yeah, 43. Open 42 and a half. Is there a bit of just like, oh, UCF will probably be pissed, so uh, there's an extra eight that I'm going to add on to that? What, what's, the, what's the over-under on that? Uh, 65. So projected is what? Uh, 43. So projected is split the 11, 43. 54.11 is the projected on that? Is that right? Yeah, 54.11. Jeez. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's crazy. So yeah, 43, uh, biggest spread. I've, I don't think I've ever seen one higher than that in the league. That's crazy. Um, and 70% of the actions on UCF figure that one out. Look, UConn sucks, but man, I'm not, I'm not laying 43 to anybody in a conference game. How about that uh, guy who bet a house on the money lines versus Pitt? <laughs> minus four, bet 167,000 to win 35 at minus 475. Um, sorry about your condo. Uh, I hope for his sake he's not married. Yeah, he's, he's definitely. Uh, <laughs> he'll never, he'll never hear the end of that one. <laughs> yeah, not great work by him. Uh, and what was that NFL bet this week where somebody parlayed like a thousand dollars on the money lines for um, whoever was playing Miami and whoever's I think it was whoever's playing the Jets and whoever was playing Miami. So it was yeah, Patriots and Cowboys and uh, Patriots. Cowboys and Patriots, uh, they parlayed both money lines. Both teams were more than a 20-point favorite, and he won like $6. <laughs> did, did, well, you see, did you see the guy that had an 89-cent 20-team uh, parlay going into last night, and he picked the Redskins on the money line? And that's the one he needed to win. It was like a $500,000. Hedge! Hedge! Yeah. Hedge in that spot! You got you to gotta Oh, my God. I hope he did. I had – I just like told this during the fight. My, our, our good buddy Mike Steuben had never been to a casino and never bet live in his life. He bet a 12-team parlay at 5 bucks, and uh, had all Saturday games and hit the first first 11. I want to say, or he had 10, and he hit the first 9. And he's like, this ticket's going to be a – he had some money. He had some favorites in there, but like it was mostly money line. And uh, we're like, Mike, you got to hedge this, buddy. It was a huge number. Um, and we did finally get him to hedge a little bit of it. And uh, – Glad he did because um, the Bucks, of course, he had the Bucks for the last game and that blew it. <laughs> so that was, I think, where we played at Nevada like seven years ago. Um, yeah, so I, I don't see anything else that totally jumps out at me. Oh, do we want to cover uh, Olympic sports too, real quick? Um, uh, volleyball won today. They beat Bethune Cookman and they beat uh, somebody else. Yeah, they, they swept Bethune Cookman today, um, but they also got a win over the weekend as well. Nate, fill in some time here while I look this stuff up. Um, USF men's soccer won one nothing uh, tonight over uh, North Florida. Jonathan Rosales uh, scored in the 81st minute off a corner kick from Avion Flanagan. Uh, Bulls open uh, AAC play versus UConn on uh, Friday at 7 p.m. My math's correct. That's the 27th. Um, so, yeah, there's that. Uh, volleyball lost to Indiana. Looks like they lost Indiana twice, which is strange. They played them twice in the tournament. I guess maybe some other team didn't show up. Um, but they lost in five on Friday night, and then uh, Saturday they lost in four. Um, yeah. They beat Stetson. Um, they swept Stetson, and then they swept Bethune Cookman tonight. Um, Jakar Walker was named to the All um, Conference honor roll this week. Um, 
So good for her. But um, yeah, I don't know why Indiana's listed on here twice. Yeah, I think it, I think it was they they played them twice. So I think there were, may have been a missing team or something like that. Um, yeah. Women's soccer fell to the middle school in Lubbock two one uh, on Saturday night, um, which is unfortunate. Uh, we should say that never. That is Texas Tech for our new listeners, by the way. If you have never heard, uh, you can go back and read our archives about the middle school and love it. Yep. Um, Sabrina Wagner, Wagner scored the lone goal for the Bulls. Um, let's see what else. I think, that, I think that's it. Um, men's basketball started practicing today. Um, I know we got a quick question um, from a listener. Are we a basketball school yet? And looking ahead, do both basketball programs make the postseason this year? Um, we've been a basketball program since, uh, whew, what day was game three of the CBI? Cause I think that's when we became a basketball school. You win a championship in one of the four major sports at USF, you become uh, that school's, uh, banner until proven otherwise. Um, I don't really care, uh, that it was the CBI. Um, as we've harped on it before, no conference titles in the major sports since 95. Um, this is, this is huge. Uh, I, I, I want to say men's and women's basketball are the last two programs of the major ones to win a title, uh, the 09, uh, WNIT and then this one. Um, so that is correct. It is uh, absolutely correct. I mean, softball had the run in 12. Uh, right, eleven or twelve? Twenty twelve. Twelve. They got to the um, twelve college world series. College yeah. world series. Um, but outside of that, it's been men, men and women's basketball for any of the um, championships, which is crazy to think that men's basketball has won a, a championship more recently than USF football, which is never. Um, so we're definitely definitely a basketball program. Um, and yeah, I think that's it. Um, We'll, you know, watch party coming up, uh, 1026, mark your calendars, and we'll uh, go from there. Um, shout out to Matrix Hormones, 813-333-2236. Did I get that right? No, 813-333-2226. Three, two, 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 three safeties, three field goals, three safeties, one touchdown, no PAT. Uh, if you need vitality, if you need to sound more awake, if you need to, uh, maybe we'll all go to Matrix Hormones because we all sounded like, completely stone doornail dead on this podcast um I, I don't know if it's tired if we just need caffeine or if we actually need something with a little more kick to it something that you could get at matrix hormones as soon as you get your blood tested um they'll be able to check and make sure that you are um producing uh the levels of um hormones that you need uh to make sure that you are feeling your best if not they can help you get back to where you once were uh matrixhormones.com or matrix hormones at 813-333 2226. All right. And that's it for us from the Bluminati podcast. I appreciate every, everyone uh, tuning in and listening. Check out the TDS film room uh, where we break down uh, the first few drive, the first quarter of the South Carolina state game. And uh, we'll, we'll talk to you um, Saturday after Go the Bulls win. Go Bulls. Go Bulls. Go Bulls.